two people found a problem with my subject matter. One person was frightened by my subject matter and didn't want to do the performance. What was the subject? <laughs> so, so questionable. <laughs> Hi everyone and welcome back. I hope you've started the semester well and also welcome to the first ever episode recorded in English. My name is Laila and I'm the host of Tony Talks. For this episode I spoke to a special guest from the fine arts department. The lecturer and artist has been highly recommended to me over and over again and since I didn't know her that well I started researching and hell yeah, clearly she creates incredibly fascinating art. So I was very happy to have her in my podcast. She's famous for her humorous, interactive and edgy performances, huge sculptures and paintings. Additionally, she has even designed some playgrounds. Uh, her name is Monster Chetwind and if you're not familiar with her, Google her now or check out the Setadika Instagram account. I posted some episode-related pictures for you guys there. And what impressed me or what I particularly liked in our conversation is her humorous and extremely open nature, especially the fact that she doesn't take herself too seriously despite her big success, which led to a fantastic and very funny conversation Please enjoy the episode and never forget, you gotta live! Yeah, you will get that after listening to the episode. So today I'm sitting here with Monster Chetwind. Good to see you. Thank you for taking time. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, you just returned from Paris where you had a performance called yeah. The Hungry Eyes. Yes. And it's about the velvet worm or... It's just there's one uh, a puppet or a velvet worm costume. Yeah, I mean, yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you maybe explain so, so what it was about? I don't know. It's interesting because you sort of if you ask yourself too much what you're doing, it leads to self-censorship, doesn't it? So you sort of there is a delicate balance of sort of being inspired by something, making something quickly enough to not stop yourself. And um, so I made in two days this costume and it's mm -hmm. life, uh, how do you say, human size, not life size at all. Life size is much smaller, but it's a human can fit inside it and operate it. And it has fun antennae and it has um, these shooter, um, I don't know what you call them, protrusions. Mm -hmm. And then also it has a kind of really disturbing mouth. And I don't know how long I made it. I made it not, not actually as representatively long as it really is. Um, at least it has 30 feet, as in feet, as in the feet you'd put shoes on, not feet mm -hmm. as in inches and feet. It's like, I don't know, three meters at least, 3.5. I should have measured it, mm -hmm. but it's big. It really looks amazing. And then it's very fun to yeah. operate, but I just made it um, kill and eat people, which is potentially very wrong. And I don't know, it's like at the time with now there's two massive world feels like world wars going on that you do wonder why would I why would I make something that's so vicious and why would I make it like playfully mime finding a victim and killing and eating it but for some reason it was very um, relieving and empowering and it was Halloween so it's hard yeah. it's hard it's yeah. hard I, I, I sound how do you say weak or I sound um, like not 
someone who you would encourage to make more projects like I, I, it feels like why would anyone endorse me like I don't know what I'm doing making the velvet worm mm-hmm. but but it felt it it was very instinctive it's like one word you could use is like relative a concept is relative truth in that if a group of people decide to do something then you can already tell that there's something in it like if we were all happy to do this then for some reason there must be enough in it enough reason but i to be really honest with you i would say it's hard to undo and analyze what you know like to pick to pieces and work out it really did feel right it felt right and i think you once said when you are with a group you try it out once and if you're still having as much fun as you had the first time Mm. you keep on doing it something like yeah i would i mean obviously i've had a couple of people like i mean maybe you know how like when someone has a car accident and then doctors get really excited because the brain has been damaged in a way that then gives insight into how the brain works like i can say that i can talk about two people or three over the 30 years or whatever i've been working that have fallen away from me and no not wanted to be in the performances but what i find super interesting about it is there are only literally three people and it's very often normally about them rather than about the system of the way it works and it's that they've two people found a problem with my subject matter one person was frightened by my subject matter and didn't want to do the performance what was the subject <laughs> so, so questionable <laughs> it um, was Nero the emperor of Rome and his sex life <laughs> and I was performing and uh, showing the I found it really interesting because I read a biography on Nero that I, I think it's a lot to do with sharing information that I think people don't know but the I'm obviously they probably do know but some people won't and it's fun to see how they feel about it and then discuss it but the um oh god it's ridiculous but basically in classical times homosexuality was more established and well, I mean it's still it's established now but say it was kind of very much part of culture and as far as I understand men could happily be seen to be penetrating other younger men But when it was seen that an older established figure in society as a man would be penetrated, this was a complete taboo. So Nero allowed himself, as the emperor, allowed himself to be penetrated and this to be known. Mm -hmm. And so this is a complete breaking of taboos. And also he was wanting to be an actor and a performer, which again was a massive breaking of taboo because acting and performing in those at that time was thought of as a very lowly job. So the fact that he fiddled when Rome, you know, he was playing the fiddle or making music when Rome burnt as a phrase is interesting because actually the, the, the some of the kind of groundbreaking aspects of what he was trying to do as a famous celebra- celebrated emperor, you know, like a person that everyone looked to, is to elevate the arts. And that is interesting for any artist in any generation. So there were some things that I was genuinely interested in, but what we were really doing in physical reality was dressing up in some stupid costumes, which were, I don't even know how to describe them. They were like, I don't know, like leotards. And then also um, one, one person was dressed up as a kind of lion creature. And it's because one of his sex games was to have someone dressed as a... A lion that then devoured sexually 
people dressed up as Christians. So it was like a, it was a play of the gladiatorial arena kind of of Christians being devoured by lions. And one of the group um, just found it too upsetting and shocking and stressful. Yeah. Which yeah. is fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Where did and you- I'm not- didn't force them into doing it and we all agreed that the person should be allowed to like just go and have a cup of tea kind of thing it wasn't it wasn't like aggressive but the thing that is hilarious is me even talking about what the subject is now which is the raging era of cancel culture and when I was doing this was in 2004 and it was for a really small event in Liverpool and it was the the weirdness of it being highly academic research like there's a biography that analyzes all of this it wasn't that I just plucked it from nowhere and that how problematic or not it is to then be alive as a contemporary person in 2004 and to even think or to look into play acting Mm -hmm. it how did the crowd react to that performance they loved it they were spellbound they adored it like it was amazing actually what do you think what is satirica what kinds of artists does the institution create that's an interesting question i i would say that it's the other way around it's not it's not that the institution makes artists in a certain mold it's that i would be bold and say that the Students are autonomous and they're independent, so there will be individuals. But I'd say that it's true that every person has an agency. So the head of the college, the fine art, sorry, I'm saying the wrong thing, the head of fine art is Svetlana, and then there's was, when I was first working here, the head of BA was Raphael, and um, I think they do have an impact, of course, because they have an agenda, But I don't know if they're so, I don't know what's the right word, so dictating that that has a mold on the student. I'd say it's the opposite. I'd say they try their hardest not to. Mm -hmm. And that in itself is the agenda. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is also what you yourself experienced when you yourself were an art student. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, totally. So, So I went to the Slade in London that's part of University College London and when I was there the type of um, art that was very dominating was conceptual art so it was very clear that certain types of work were thought of as important or significant and worthwhile and others were not so Mm -hmm. I would say yes and then I certainly felt a massive shift when I went to another college which was again pretty conservative one it was the royal college um to do painting ma but that that there immediately i could feel a different kind of ethos of the college and i found i realized that it's very healthy to change college if not even country perhaps but nowadays people seem to even you know shift Mm -hmm. from another city to another country to do their ma but i think it's really a good insight because you don't even really understand the flavor until you've experienced a different um, agenda Mm. or flavor. Where does your fascination for puppets and costumes and masks and so ever come from? I don't know. I've been brought up very um, within a creative family. So my mom uh, works in the film business as a set designer and uh, oceanographer. And she's done that since, I don't know, 
when she was in her twenties, thirties, this kind of thing. So all her life, she's won an Oscar, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's won. Uh, she's been nominated three times, mm-hmm. and she's also has a BAFTA and some other awards that are really incredible. And she's made over fifty-four films mm-hmm. in her life, and she's worked with really incredible, brilliant directors and teams. I think she's has a, I don't know what the right word is, like a incredible career in an old-fashioned way that people talk about careers like maybe now people think career is a dirty word but mm-hmm. I think in my mom's generation from the 60s 70s for a, a woman to have a career in the way that she has it's kind of very impressive yeah. and you sort of take your hat off to it kind of thing yeah. and um and she is very funny and intense with her politics she's a meritocrat so she would literally be at home polishing her awards or have a photograph of her as a some moment in her life where she's successful and have mm-hmm. it in front of her when she wakes up <laughs> and to say one of my friends teased her and said Lucci do you say when you wake up I'm a winner and like she actually sort of, sort of laughed and said yes so so I think my mum is kind of a hilarious cartoon careerist person do you ever feel pressure to be as successful as your mother When I was a kid, um, yeah, I was really upset for a long time because, I mean, nearly until I was 30, because I didn't understand what I wanted to do. And my mum was really merciless and said that you need to know from childhood what you want to do. And my brother did know. He wanted to be an architect. Mm -hmm. When he was 13, he knew. And I didn't know at all what I wanted to do. had no idea. And I studied anthropology and I did more like humanity subjects. And I always made art, but I never thought of it as something that you could do as a profession. I just did it without understanding it was of worth. And then to answer you, because you asked about the if you can eclipse your nightmarishly famous parent, that is a really interesting question. And I've witnessed friends who have very established parents uh not cope so I do find it interesting but I had a different um, experience where my mum trained me to work in the film industry so me and my brother were brought up to work in the film industry and so in the film industry it's basically nepotistic you're entirely surrounded by other people from the film industry whose parents and generations were in the film industry so there was it wasn't that I was going to have to kill my mum to have a job it was nothing like that it was that I would be on a good track Mm -hmm. because my mum was a famous and established designer I would also be just hard working and in the same way respected and allowed to have a career Mm -hmm. so there's nothing problematic in a way but the only problem was when I went to work after leaving school at 19 in the film industry I had I really suffered in a hilarious way where I found everyone was on coke in the daytime. They're all taking cocaine in the daytime during at, work. The ho- everyone. On every, Yeah, on okay, set, everyone. Yeah. Like, literally every single person was high. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I just wasn't. And I just found it really problematic. I was just, like, earnest about the script or I felt that I believed in the project. Mm-hmm. And I was just surrounded by these people who were so out of their minds and macho and pepped up. And um, that I found really problematic. I used to yeah. really literally go and cry in a toilet because I just was disillusioned. How old were you? I was 19. Mm. And also, that sounds really odd, but I, because my mum's on the design side, she actually is very um, dismissive of art. So mm-hmm. she thinks that 
design is of worth and it has a qualitative judgment within it of if, if the knife is sharp it's you know like a judgment literally like value judgment that um if the knife is sharp it's a good knife like with design you have that satisfaction with art you don't it's very non-qualitative that's argument i mean that's an argument you could have but mm-hmm. basically anything goes in art and the thing that um is potentially problematic is although i'm very i'm from a very creative family the idea of being an artist is not necessarily seen to be a uh, of worth so that that's one thing i'd say it's but not um, of worth, in, of worth in like in your family yeah seen, okay. yeah it wasn't yeah, seen to yeah. be something that you would do yeah yeah so your mom had but a cre- really, creativity yeah. is okay yeah. like if it's put to industrial use if it's like you know if you're a graphic designer if you're a designer in some way it makes sense but if you're just an artist a self-indulgent artist you're looked down on that kind of thing and then I sort of took myself turned myself around because I'd done an anthropology I did an anthropology and history degree which was great but then I turned myself around and went back and studied art but this was all on my own I didn't um I did not I left home when I was 18 and I didn't um I didn't go back to get anyone's permission for what I was doing. So I went and studied art and I paid myself the tuition fees and stuff like this. So mm-hmm. so at some point I kind of understood that I could just uh, yeah. do what I wanted to do. So your mum, but she wouldn't support you. No, she decision. wasn't. Okay. No, 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 it wasn't just support. That my parents told me, oh, it's really hard to explain, but I didn't have a home when I was growing up. I didn't have mm-hmm. any room ever that was constantly my room. And it was understood that when I was 18, I left home and that I wasn't allowed to leave any belongings. So there was no kind of uh, cosy um, support on any level. So it wasn't that there was like uh, a difficulty over me choosing a career or life choice. It was that there was no kind of uh, following of what I was doing at all. It's, mm-hmm. I don't know how to say it. it wasn't, mm-hmm. uh, it's not, that wasn't relevant in a way. But But I know that the question you're asking about the parent who's established and the child who is eclipsed by them I find so interesting but I also worked out that it is what you make of your own life and your own choices and it's so confusing when you're a young person because you think your parents uh, politics and your parents choices are somehow the right ones and it's really hard to understand that it doesn't have to be the same ones for you this kind of thing yeah, yeah it's very hard yeah it's a process I yeah think, for everyone it's it's and at what age are you not trying to please please your parents still yeah i mean is it 40 i don't know yeah. i really don't know <laughs> i remember one point where i realized oh my mom she doesn't know everything because we were in a bus hmm. and she was like lila where do we have to get out i was like eight and hmm. i was like i don't know and she's like yeah i don't know either and i was like oh my god we lost my like i need you i, I have no idea yeah so I think I noticed with my son at the age of four that he's more intelligent than me. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> How did you realize that? He has better boundaries than me. He mm. understands when to stop being uh, polite or pleasing to someone and to self-preserve or whatever. He's got better boundaries than me. Mm-hmm. He's amazing. Mm-hmm. I find it astounding. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, so how do you become as successful as you are? Mm, interesting. Glad that I'm given that badge. Mm. Um, okay. Hmm. So I think 
research is a big part of it. So I have definitely a lot of mental sort of lists of artists and figures in culture who work in a way that reassure me. So rather than being just in isolation, thinking that you just have to come up with the goods or the ideas, I would say that research um, is a good uh, armor or like um, sort of enabling aspect to confidence and motivation. And like I can give an example. One of them is Abbe Pierre, the French um, hero. I really love him. And he's this priest who was sort of became how do you say like he became himself in his element in the as a partisan during the second world war and he would walk um people needing to escape from france over the border in grenoble and then he got caught and then he seemed to escape and then he appeared in north africa and that's where he got given his name of abbe pierre but the things that he's most well known for now is this um charity called emmaus that it's very clever because it's helping marginalized people to not um, be marginalised, to be habilitated into society. But one of the tactics is that they're not given sympathy or, you know, like uh, allowed to wallow in self-pity. They just simply have to help people who are worse off than themselves. That's the premise of it. And it helps a lot of people from prison be rehabilitated. So it's like an antiques shop, basically, where second-hand furniture is sold but the people working on the shop floors are people who are like not enabled to have a job normally so it's like this charity that exists it's very cool and Abbe Pierre set it up and he's sort of like from the 40s 50s 60s time that he's well known in France but one of the things I love about him the most is that at one point his charity ran out of money Mm -hmm. and so he just simply went on the who wants to be a millionaire program and um, won it and took the money and went back to his charity. <laughs> so he's just such Amazing. a dude. He's so good at just being straightforward about what he wants to, so to do. He's really partisan. He's really he brings his partisan training in the Second World War to his being a priest, and um, and the, for the rest of his life he continued that attitude of um, uh, being as direct as an emergency situation as if it were uh, a war was on him in a way. And then also he criticised Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa, which I love, for and you're like, what? Like, how? What could he, what could he say? What? How? And it's because she, he criticised her for not criticising the church enough. Mm. So you're just like, oh, Abbe Pierre, he's so, he's so like hits the spot. He's so good. So in my mind, he's like this wonderful punk kind of DIY, innovative, roll up your sleeves and make the world better person. He's very, very famous for so many things. But so I would say. If you want to be successful or if I'm the secret to my success, if that's what I'm being asked, is to make sure you have some good research um, skills because the research brings you to different strategies and... I, I was going to say this word subversive thinking, but I got in trouble with it recently within a meeting at Zetadeka where I think that people in the group maybe thought I was saying something too political but I really just meant being able to analyze and think outside the box so when I say subversive thinking I really mean it as a positive thing Mm -hmm. but basically research leads to finding models that enable you to have the way to go to find your way 
and uh, to be reassured and to be mm-hmm. motivated. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a, that would be one thing I'd answer with. Eating well, sleeping well. There's some other tips. Perfect. Um, what is the most absurd or funny thing that has ever happened to oh you God, at Setadeka? Oh, at Setadeka? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, that's a hard one. No, it's yes. at Setadeka. Oh, my God, what's <laughs> happened at Setadeka? Oh, shit. Well, where have I been crying? Oh, I know, it's the Teacher's Award. Oh, my God, it's <laughs> well, hilarious. The Teacher's what Award. Happened? So the teacher, uh, there was, the, I got, okay, so you get a lot of emails sent to you. I'm sure everyone does. So I was reading my German emails, as as you do, and then um, <laughs> one of them was about an award for a good teacher, um, and the theme was uh, collaboration. And then I read the next sentence was that you could nominate yourself. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, this is precious. It's absurd that it's a award where you get money and it's linked to being able to be a good collaborator. And... And you should be obviously nominated by your students that you collaborate with and you're brilliant at, but you could also nominate yourself. And I was just like, oh my God, I am nominating myself. This is it. I'm going to nominate myself. This is it. So I wrote up this ridiculous kind of um, text of all the ways I know how to collaborate and which obviously comes naturally to me because of the performances and all this and how I work with the students in many ways. And then um, my colleague helped me translate it, but then in the end I didn't even need to. And through my nominating, I got in, I got selected to the shortlist. And um, then I got to meet this whole other team in the uh, university. Oh, not university, it's a school, isn't it? But in Zetadeka, I got to meet this whole team I'd not met before. And they're, for me, extraordinary. They're these whole employed phalanxes of people who are interested in the theory of teaching and who analyse the teacher's And they never have any first contact with teaching. They never, what I'd call the front line, like as in uh, infantry war. I am a front line, like I'm teaching all the time direct with people, like directly in contact with students. But there's an unbelievable amount of people working at Zetadeka who never have any direct contact with students, but are employed full time to analyse teaching. So for me, it's amazing. It's like a kind of anth armchair anthropology team in the building in different rooms you never go to and then there's this whole other you know how do you say like field work anthropologists doing the student like teaching directly it's amazing and so then I got to meet them and they turned out to be very charming and very fun and very interesting and we had a lot of fun together but then there was the night of the award which was to me totally extraordinary and it had a lot of very formal kind of um procedure so there's a lot of people talking on microphones there were some nibbles there was uh chairs on a stage and then there was an audience amount of chairs and then thankfully this time I'd got some students to come because I thought if you're nominated to be a good teacher you need to show and demonstrate this with some evidence of getting some students to although come. you don't nominated yourself although I not so I know I thought even more yeah. reason to get some other stu- at this point I was like I really need some this time got to get them so I asked various students if they'd come amazingly they all did we all ate the nervously at the nibbles together and then I said to them oh do you think you could do something performative how do you feel about it and they were just like god no no that's just just no way we haven't prepared or what is that and I was like yeah but we could do a really simple thing we could do I can show you and so I showed them this very simple thing where you 
you could say in English, uh, Simon says, but you basically copy mm. a movement. So mm-hmm. if I put my, if we all put our hands in the middle in a circle, and one person lifts the hand up, the others lift the hand up. Yeah. If one person separates the fingers into a wide span, then they copy. So it's a very gentle meditative game where you just copy and it's very nice so I said well what if we just do that you know like nothing and they were like oh maybe maybe kind of and then one of the uh, group um, is non uh, uh, is non-binary gender and they said they'd like to um, tell anecdotes about when they first met me and I said oh my goodness this is amazing okay so we've got it and so then the other people nominated had their time on stage and then it was our time we only got five minutes Mm -hmm. but we all stood up on the stage and then the group that were doing the hand gesture we did the hand gesture and then the friend who was going to do the anecdotes we were given two microphones so immediately i was like hey i've got two microphones and i talked through both of them i just was having fun immediately (laughs) and then i gave one microphone to the friend who was doing the anecdotes and then they told this really emotional story and i was involved in the hands um movement and the friend the student on the other side of the stage started saying this really moving intense personal story of how they'd found it really hard being at Zeta Deca and that no one had listened to them no one had even treated them as if they were a real person and that when they met me they were amazed because I really genuinely reassured them that I was really seeing them and that I could talk to them where I was genuinely uh, interested in what they were producing and blah blah it went on and I had this intense emotional response to what they said and I was rushing towards them and I said this ridiculous sentence of you've got to live you've got to live you've got to live like really over the top really over the top but it's only because I'd never heard them say something like this before and it was so emotional and so intense and the others kept going with their hands and then I realized the five minutes was up and then we without saying anything we all just went and sat down and then the next people got up and did the same thing of sitting in chairs and talking, you know, like as conventionally you would just mm-hmm. imagine, yeah. expect. And then the thing that got to me with the ceremony, I didn't win it. I didn't win it, but you got some money even mm-hmm. for turning up, amazingly, in Switzerland. <laughs> Incredible. Um, but the thing that got to me about it was that I thought, oh, how extraordinary to sort of almost hijack that whole thing by doing this five minutes And for me, it was a really exciting performance because you don't get opportunities like that to mush with a different way of being. Mm -hmm. Like what I would have now is a museum giving me a space where I work very hard and make a beautiful set and then certain people come because they know my Mm -hmm. reputation and then we do something and because I work very hard and I know how to conjure informality, mayhem, fun, I can make it work but it takes a hell of a lot of effort. But with these bizarre moments where it's within an institution or some nightmarishly structured, hierarchized um, job, that to have this moment of uh, spontaneous um, mm-hmm. interaction, mm-hmm. oh, it was, it was really breathtaking. Yeah. But I don't know. Does it is it too long-winded a story for the Zeta Decker <laughs> experience? Quite long, but. <laughs> I wish I was there. Sounds really <laughs> it was so fun good. because it was these, so good. these events are often so boring. Well, and I don't so know how. And yes, they very. It's very planned. Is a good word. Planned is a good word. And, and also, the person who 
was nominated, it sounds awful, but I actually really support them. They're doing brilliant things within the film department of, you know, fighting against sexism. You really applauded the person and they had brilliant articulate level of um, terminology and uh, communication skills and things like this. So I thought it made so much sense that they should win. That was all good. But in a naughty way, I just was like, oh, my God, I got away with some bizarre experience there. Yes. Like, really, really odd. Will you renominate yourself again? <laughs> Anytime, seriously. <laughs> well, When I'm is not the next, kidding. When is the next award? I think award, it's in, every two or five years or something. But, but seriously. I will definitely come. Without, without a doubt. Nice. Mm. <laughs> yeah, um... I am. Like Have we got both. to an hour and a half? Have we done an hour I and a half? I think we're through. Oh, yeah, we are. We're three. That's yeah. why it's at three o'clock. And uh, yeah, just thank you so, so no much problem. for your time and this fun <laughs> interview. And um, there were great questions. <laughs> thank yeah. you. Yeah. And it's a really interesting connection, isn't it, with, with the sensitivity and oddness of being an artist and being a tutor and, and whether there is any boundary even between the tutor and the student it's it's so mm -hmm. interesting and the interview is a really nice um connection actually mm -hmm. yeah i get yeah. it it's very cool thank you so much i'm sure thank i said all sorts of wrong things i swore at one point no did you there was there was a thing i think cool. it was a, but, but it's only <laughs> you're gonna edit it aren't you <laughs>